I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To me, it was important to go through a workshop stage to just have that relationship even deeper and to expand the palette of the instrument. I'm not looking for just in a traditional sense, something you automatically think a violin does. In my mind, the possibilities are endless, especially with having electronics now. You just merging those two worlds together, I think you can get such incredible potential. Welcome to Excuse the Mess. My name's Ben Corrigan and I'm the host and creator of this podcast. And as you've probably worked out by the music you're hearing, this episode is going to be a bit of a wild ride, a roller coaster of experimental music. The guest is composer and violinist Galia Bizingalieva. This podcast is all about getting to know people like Galia, talking to them about their work and learning how they tick as music creators. This podcast is also an award-winning one. I think I'm entitled to throw that in there every now and then. It won a British Podcast Award this year in the Best Arts and Culture category, a bronze. Each of these episodes comes in two parts. The first part is just a conversation with the guest and examples of their music peppered throughout the whole thing. The second part, which I encourage you to go and listen to after this, is a composition process. The guest brings an instrument with them. This is then our only sound source, but if we want to extend the sounds, we have to use electronic manipulations to do so. We also can't pre-plan anything, and we only have that day to finish working on the piece. That track underneath is called Gallia Beat. It's taken from the Actress and London Contemporary Orchestra album, and this one in particular was a co-write between Gallia, Darren Cunningham, also known as Actress, and percussionista Sam Wilson. So, Gallia, she is uh, quite a prolific performer, improviser, collaborator and composer. She's working at the cutting edge of contemporary and experimental music, collaborating with some of the biggest names out there. People like Mika Levy, Ipek Gorgon, Susan Ciani, Laurie Spiegel, Sarah Devarchi, Hilda Gonadotia, Philip Glass, Steve Reich. And that's a mixture of playing on their albums, film scores or live performances. The names that I've given you there is a very much redacted list. But we're here to talk about her and her original music that's making real waves in the experimental world. We'll mainly be focusing on her two EPs that are out now on Nomad Music Productions. They're a sublime example of a forward-thinking collection of pieces. And alongside her original compositions, she commissioned some really incredible composers to write for her for these EPs. And we talk about how that whole process was highly collaborative and how she worked with each composer to push the violin into new territory. 
Just a quick thank you to ACAST for hosting this podcast and a big thank you to Arts Council England, PRS Foundation and Isotope Audio for backing Excuse the Mess. I'm really excited to put this episode out there. Gallia is just a wonderful human being and an incredibly talented composer and musician. So I'm sure you can find lots of lessons to take away from this episode and apply to your own work. Okay, I hope you enjoy. So look, I've got you your favourite cake. Thank you. We had an obviously these, 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 there's you're, hummus you're and the stuff. You're the king of snacks. It's mainly just to make sure your morale is in a good place the it's whole right. day. Um, anyway, should you want to make a podcast? Yeah, why not? Yeah, good. Let's do it. Let's do it. I was thinking for this, um, we'll maybe go in a chronological order. Okay. How, how's that sound? Yeah. So um, take us back, Galia, to the... Uh, to the, the land of nomads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, history lesson, please. Yeah. I'll just let you go. You know where you were born. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was born in Kazakhstan, a really vast country, um, Central Asia. Beautiful scenery, nature. Yeah, and started playing the violin at the age of five. Oh, wow. Yeah. Went to a... A specialist music school, yeah, it was full-on classical music. I, my parents and my extended family are all musicians, so it was kind of, <laughs> I guess, forced, but at that yeah. age you don't even realise that. Don't have an um, opinion. Yeah, yeah, or choice. <laughs> yeah, so you weren't like, can I play the violin, please? No. You were just like... I was just like, okay, here it is. Someone gave me the instrument. Yeah, so I started really early on and... My full concentration was put into that, and then I moved to the UK when I was 12. When you're 12, yeah. So this is why there is a fully British accent we're hearing. <laughs> yeah, my accent. I don't know what it is, just lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you can still speak Kazakh. Is, is Kazakh the language? Yeah, yeah. Kazakh is the main language. But when I was growing up, because uh, I was like one of the last generation of people that were born during the USSR so I spoke Russian so mm-hmm. that was my first language yeah. okay. that I learned at school and now it's more Kazakh that is prominent and gets taught at schools but during my time I was one of the last people to have that upbringing one of the last speakers <laughs> yeah well no it's people still <laughs> that do dying it. language dying. Russian <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know yeah so you were training yeah, from so five in a music school? Practice like eight hours a day. Wow. Um, from that you, age or yeah, did it kind of increase well, as you it, got it older? Well, it increased, but it takes so long to master the instrument. I think that's why it's such a sort of drawn line between being a composer and being a performer in classical genre because you just have to take all that time to master the instrument. And it, and it did. It yeah. took years and years. But I had this Russian school that was really serious and gave me incredible grounding and technique. Um, but it was full on. Yeah. Hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a lot for 
a child to yeah. be put through, really. But were you enjoying it no at the time? No board games. <laughs> no board games. So, board or ball. Yeah. yeah. No Game Boy. Definitely. Although I did play Mario. <laughs> okay, was, there, was, there was some light. That was joy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so you enjoyed the training as uh, it was yeah, happening. I, th- I and, think so. I'm quite an introvert, so I don't think I let anything be known. So, no, it felt natural, I think. Yeah. Also the connection that you had the support system from your family and, yeah, and everyone. I just lived in a world where I thought everyone was doing it. When you go to a music school, you're just faced with people playing the instruments and being in that world. Yeah, and really, like, that being focus focused. and the scales and the... Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Scales. Uh, scales upon <laughs> scales, yeah. That's, yeah, that's... I don't know if scales cause trauma, but... <laughs> <laughs> I used to love scales. Yeah, I guess really a lot to do with teachers and how they approach. And it's quite a traditional approach there, isn't it? And, and particularly Definitely. a good reputation for strings, I yes, think you said in the yeah. past. that it still is so strong. And yeah, I'm really happy that I got that training, even though it was hardcore. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose like you must have been pretty shit-hot violinist at the age of 12 and then to come over to the UK, what, what sort of differences did you notice in the teaching and the, the standards? I mean, be, be nice, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's just totally different. I think when I came to the UK, I just started thinking more about the music as opposed to just learning things and memorising and, okay. and just doing it. That's when the thought process started and... That's, like, really important. Yeah. <laughs> just to think of music as a as a different entity, not just a tool or a... Yeah, and you can put yourself into the music. Yeah, yeah. also that. Yeah. And I think my the way I play, it's, it's quite individual. It's not like... I never fitted in into this sort of child prodigy technical superstar uh-huh. thing. I, I was always slightly different and the way I thought about things. How, so. how do you mean, just, let's say you're 10 years old and you're yeah. playing a piece and you're next to, a, you know, another 10-year-old? Another 10 people what? that play, yeah, like, really technically, incredibly well and, yeah, I used to hate competitions. I think competitions are oh, a weird really? thing. So I always felt uncomfortable with yeah. that. I'd rather just perform. In those parts where I grew up, competitions, like, really at the forefront to get ahead. It's a strange environment to be in. Yeah. Yeah. So what sort of pieces were you playing whilst you were still in Kazakhstan? Everything. Concertos, yeah, sonatas, Bach, Beethoven. That's insane. Shostakovich, everything, yeah. Wow. It was... Are you a better violinist now than you were at the age of (laughs) ten? I think I'm just different. I don't really think of myself as a classical violinist Mm. anymore. Was there a change? Was there a switch? Maybe the seed of that was planted just on arriving at the UK and then you had more training here. Yeah, I had more training here. I went to the Royal Academy College and did my um, postgrad and undergrad studies and it actually came quite late, the switch. I started being interested in contemporary music, classical contemporary music, and then the electronic world through the workshops I did with... um, London Contemporary Orchestra. So I started being interested in that world, I think, when I was 18. So um, the LCO's experimental approach introduced you to cross collaboration 
Setters. Yeah, we've done a lot of workshops with different artists that a lot of them and I think in that environment you get to experiment and create new sounds and there's a lot of improvisation as well involved and from there you just get to know your instrument yeah. a lot more. For someone who's so traditionally trained, the word improvisation probably to most players would bring out cold sweats. Probably, yeah. <laughs> but So you were open to it? Well, I just had to get over it. Okay. And, and so was it hard at first? It, it was hard, yeah. yeah, because you sort of, you are exposed in a different way. It's not just learning someone else's piece of music that's been written a long time ago or not long time ago. It's still yeah. somebody else's piece that is written out fully and you're just, you know... You, you you are presented with it. Um, Improvisation is just blank. Yeah. You only sometimes get a few instructions or yeah. a visual or something like that. And But once you get over that, it's amazing. Yeah. So it's, you're excited so to see. Liberating. I get excited when yeah. it's minimal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I guess that becomes not just an improv. Then it turned into a collaboration and then I thought, oh, I could put some of the ideas that I'm doing into my own work. So it seems like improv was the stepping stone to becoming a composer then, yeah. I think so. I think it was all very gradual yeah. and natural. So at that younger age, like, becoming a composer was never necessarily, like, no. on your radar. You just sort of, you followed a path and, and it's led to off here. it. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Yeah. And I think that's to do with classical genre and the way we... Separate the two things. 100%, yeah. It's like what you said, that the hours that are required to, like, master an instrument don't leave any space for... No, not really. I don't know. I mean, of course, a lot of people do it, and a lot of composers come from a performance background. And, yeah. But, yeah, violin's hard, man. <laughs> it's <laughs> and, really hard. And in terms of, like, an orchestral setting, you're right at the front. You're often taking some of the hardest material lots of notes and you can't yes. be shoddy at that and and you're the orchestral leader of lots of orchestras but including the lto yeah yeah <laughs> she, she uh she nods humbly <laughs> um yeah which is uh, a lovely seat to have right and oh, it's great yeah something i did want to ask you because i've never played an orchestral instrument i've never mm. sat in an orchestra so what is the job of you What's your what, role? What What's your tasks? Why are you there? Justify yourself. Um, so the role of a leader, I guess, is to facilitate what a conductor is demanding and also what's demanded from the music mm. that we are all playing. And, and it's also choosing right moments to affect change in the rehearsal process. Okay. But also not just stating the obvious just for the sake of it. Trying to get some points. Just to look important, yeah. you know, or just to stamp your authority. Um, yeah, so what, what is it you said, effect change in the rehearsal? Do you mean keeping the, the whole orchestra yeah. sort of onside? Onside and to move forward in the, in the process. And so the music's always at the for forefront because there, there would be a lot of questions sometimes yeah, with what's yeah. going on and, and everything sort of gets put onto you. And you have to make sure that that's passed on. You yeah, know? quite a big responsibility because yeah. the whole orchestra channels through you and then because you're yes. sat right by the conductor, you you have to have a dialogue and Definitely. then feed it back. And when there's like 24 violinists, you yeah. know, wanting to know. But also it's 
putting bowings in sometimes and making sure the markings are right the dynamics and and if anything goes wrong it's on you like yeah yeah. it's quite a big responsibility because it affects so much doesn't it the way that you start a phrase and end a phrase in terms of bowing and like those kinds of things and often a conductor might just give you that whole job and not say anything about it definitely it really varies from who's conducting but um yeah so i would probably as a leader I am more physical yeah. when I play, so everybody knows what I'm yes. showing. Okay. If yeah, all, all the little nuances and yeah, so people can read the body language as well as what's coming out yeah. musically. But yeah, if if someone gets lost or if the conductor's done something funky, I think people would look to me to right. see what's okay. going on. So I guess you, just like the conductor, has to learn a score yes. before taking it to rehearsal. I guess you have to at least have a good sense of what's about to happen as well. Like you, you need to learn to the, the piece too. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's quite a lot of responsibility. I, I as I say, I didn't know anything really yeah, about it. Yeah, I think it. it's quite hidden. People don't really realise how much work goes into it. Yeah. Just pause for the uh, the neighbours' children. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You're hearing a piece by composer Edmund Finnis called Shades Lengthen, written for the London Contemporary Orchestra. The soloist, you guessed it, is Gallia. to being born in Kazakhstan and that whole trajectory and this is a desirable seat for any musician. Definitely, it's incredible. And also to be, yeah, a woman of like ethnic minority in that seat. I think it's, I feel really proud of that. It's just um, an incredible place to be when you get to not just play the music but get really deep into it and and workshop and get to talk to the composers and collaborate and I think that's a different world to like a traditional setting and I just think that's really exciting. By the sounds of it, through those workshops and improvising, got the hunger to be your own music maker. Yes, it just came naturally, kind of evolved. How do you start like, okay, I'm going to make my own stuff now. Where do you begin? You've had however many years before that, building up to this point. What was the first idea that made you go, right, it's time to do this? I wanted people to hear the violin in a different way. That was the first thing. I was like, I'm making these sounds. They're quite radical sometimes. And 
I want people to hear that as a solo instrument. So I thought I'll put an album together. And then I guess coming from a classical world, I wanted to veer off doing it in a traditional way. So I thought, I know loads of incredible composers. I want to collaborate. I want to have this this process where you would hear my music, but also what other people think of it and workshop in that way. And that's where it all started. And then having improvised and done collaborations in the past to then have all these little ideas that I wrote down, that also fed into um, putting it on, on the page and then being like but it is a step like yeah. you've got to be like okay i'm doing this yeah now. <laughs> it's it is even through all of that other stuff it's still a new territory yeah, yeah. Definitely. and you say you had little bits of ideas these are like iphone recordings and yeah. just little nuggets and of... just like playing around at home and just thinking oh this sounds cool that could be a piece yeah <laughs> a yeah track. yeah how did you choose who you wanted to commission and why did you choose them I've worked with all of them before and I just think they're rad and <laughs> and incredible and I love the world that they create. But they're also very different. Like, you could put them in different genres. And I think that speaks to the fact that I don't think of music that way. If I hear something I really like, it yeah. just goes in and and that's it. It's it's not like, oh, this this is going to be like ambient and this is going to be alternative it's it was just through a combination of these amazing artists that I wanted to work with but who are also open to working in an open-minded way and having workshops and it's not like a it wasn't just a straight-up commission like oh please write me a piece Mm. and then they write it and you just perform it it was a process of finding out sounds and going and saying, oh, look, I can do this. You don't have to have a traditional set of tuning. Mm-hmm. Like, we can, yeah, we can play around with it. Like, <laughs> for Shiva's piece, I, I was improving in, in the bathroom, like, to get a reverb, just, oh, right. you know, yeah. lots and lots. And then that little violin thing was born out of it. It's just really exciting, I think. Yeah. But to me, it was important to go through a workshop stage to just have that relationship even deeper and to expand the palette of the instrument. I'm not looking for just, in in a traditional sense, something you automatically think a violin does. In my mind, the possibilities are endless. Especially with having electronics now, you're just merging those two worlds together, I think. You can get such incredible potential you're hearing Tous which is the first track of Galia's EP and for this piece she commissioned Claire M singer So EP1, that was released last year. Yes. And you said earlier that you were planning an album, but you decided to split them up. Is that yes, right? Yeah. yeah. Because we have beautiful and calm and tranquil. Serene. Yeah. And then it all explodes. 
fucking chaos. I just in EP2. thought, yeah. So EP one, EP two is like the sister to EP one, and yeah. I just thought I need a bit of time for people to process those three tracks and then hit them with this one. Yeah, well, you haven't sat in one place because they are they're so contrasting, yes. and, and you, like to split them up is a really good idea. They've got such strong identities as EPs. So um, yeah, Thanks. you started with two. Yes, so that was composed by Clara Singer. It just paints this vast landscape. She was inspired by Glencoe in the Highlands. And yeah, we just droned yeah. for hours. Which, which is, I mean, she drones better than, than anyone any, I know. Anyone. She's incredible. Yeah. yeah. It's just such a brilliant way to start that EP because it does have that like real vivid visual thing of like this landscape that I don't know the mist slowly clears and yeah but that was layers upon layers of violin and the way we did it most of it was one take wonders because <laughs> it was just like so many that we had to get down in the studio the piece is 10 minutes long so each note would have to be 10 minutes can I guess how many layers I don't think I'd remember the top of my head. <laughs> it's pretty dense, definitely towards it's the end. More than ten like... notes, and then you'd have to do it a lot. So yeah, times I wouldn't know. Okay. <laughs> my arm was hurting from, <laughs> from bowing so so much. And is it? It's one pitch going all the way through. Yeah. And then and four melodies on top. Yeah, and it's beautiful when those melodies emerge and mm. those sliding sort of motifs come through. And then what comes next? I mean, I know, but... Tulpah, which we worked on together, that yes. you produced. Yes. <laughs> so Tulpah came out of that little nugget, that little loop of detuned pits. It's one of your iPhone recordings, right? Yes. And it's the gallopy... Gallopy horse. <laughs> yeah. Gallia kindly dug out this iPhone recording, the initial seed that started off the track Tulpah. the first thing that started the track and then a lot of it was improvisation on top I think that's I, I work a lot in that way and I let things sit for a long time in in my head and then think about it and yeah it's it's a process yeah, yeah, <laughs> of definitely. layers and how to put them together each step would bring up Emerge. a new idea like oh well like a lot of music really it's like what's going to complement this yes. and what's the trajectory right but that horse idea is so strong and 
the, and Tulpa is a Kazakh mythical horse. Yes, yeah, so Tulpa um, corresponds to the Pegasus of the Greeks. It's uh. a mythical winged horse. It comes from Tangriism mythology, which sort of draws on my roots being from Kazakhstan and Central Asia. Yeah. Nomadic roots. I wonder what your old teachers might think of the music you're making now. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> Haven't asked them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up playing the violin when I was little, um, that was Russian school of playing. So me drawing on my Kazakh roots is like going way back. Okay, yeah. Of, but it's interesting that I am, even though I've had this education that is not Kazakh in a way, because of USSR, I am still drawn to something that was before then. And I'm just fascinated by by everything. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that is because you are ethnic minority living in a majority white country. I think that's something that Probably. I've read is that if you're uh, of Indian heritage mm -hmm. and you live in London, then you're going to be really into your culture. Whereas if you're Indian, you live in India, you might just be really into Metallica because you've got enough <laughs> India around you. Yes. Um, and you're drawn to sort of your heritage. That would make sense. Yeah. I probably miss it, miss having that connection. I, I wrote Tulpa when my grandmother passed away. Oh, really? And I Sorry. couldn't make it to the funeral because um, I was oh, here. Right. And I just, I think that also had something to do with it because she was this matriarch of our family and wow. we were really close and um, she was this strong Kazakh woman. Yeah. Um, so that also, I think, started this yearning for for that, for the history and, and yeah, the roots. <laughs> yeah. And it is a theme now, it seems, through the music. Yeah. Yes, and also um, exploring the musical culture of the country and, and the folk instruments, and some of them are so amazing. I want people to hear it, yeah. but not in, in a traditional sense. Yeah, in the, yeah. In the you way obviously that, do your thing with yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to let people know that you can, you can do that, and to me that's interesting. Thank you. 
so should we talk about opera in? Yes, opera is... was composed by Emily Levinas Farouche, who I think was on the podcast yes. in series one. ETM alumni. Yes, yeah. um, but we had fun. We explored a lot of different textures and more than one soul ponticello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people think there's just one. Some people do, but there's so many variations. What kind of variations can people find? What string players can experiment with, maybe? Well, soul ponticello, do you, should I play it? Yeah, why not? <laughs> why the hell not? You so brought, the, brought the violin. So texture soul ponticello is is a technique where you play the bow really close to the bridge. So instead of it being normal, it becomes different. But most people just go to the bridge and that's the main understanding of soul pond. But you can really vary it and sort of go extreme. Then you can draw a lot of overtones and then you can vary the bow speed and, and then you get a lot of different sounds bow pressure has a lot to do with it is that bow right? pressure bow speed where it is so with operin it starts with extreme salt points so and then as the piece emerges it moves So you get all these different things. But most people think of Sulpont as a cold sound. Mm. But I think you can get a beautiful Sulponticello uh, melody or... Yeah, it, yeah. It, th there's so many variations yeah. to it. Same with Sultasto, which is the opposite. Yeah. You, you go towards... You create this sort of woolly sound. Woolly, yeah. And most people just tend to go a tiny bit away from the bridge, so it sounds like... Just over the fingerboard. Yeah, and I tend to just go extreme. You're, so, so you're beyond even the body of the violin here. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you play it live, are you still experimenting with a different way to play it yes, each time? each time. Yeah, so it's still developing, still yeah. evolving. And yeah. it's, it's still, it makes it exciting. Yeah. I'm not just repeating it from performance to performance. Yeah. It's going to be different each oh, time. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for the demo. What a treat. <laughs> She wrote this piece, looping these different fragments that built this whole world of... I think of time when I play it. Oh, like, cool, OK. Time just becomes evident and you're sort yeah. of in the middle of this 
Because you have, once you've played a thing, it repeats. Maybe it's that kind of repetition, repetition. TikToking, like... Maybe, yeah. Is it 60 BPM? I don't know. No, it's not. <laughs> it's a bit faster. Yeah. <laughs> but then at the end, when that's all built up, there's this really beautiful melody that comes and sort of finishes the piece. And she was inspired by... Um, Alexander Ivanovich's theories about the origin of life in the early Earth's primordial soup expounded in his classic book, The Origin of Life. He was a Soviet biochemist, so maybe she thought of that because I'm yeah. of my roots. Just a brief pit stop. You may or may not hear an Acast advert now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We were on to EP2 now. Yeah, so EP2 was released a couple of months ago. Uh, also a trio of works for violin and electronics. Yeah, and it really goes for it. It's quite experimental. So you have um, Zohra. 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 Yeah, it was written by Shiva Feshereki. And yeah. um, is named after Shiva's mother and translates to Venus in Farsi language. It combines a duet on turntables and solo violin. And there was an improvisation that was put on vinyl and then she was improving. And then on top of that was another improvisation and then a few electronics. And yeah, it was a really cool process. There's a lot of percussion things in there. So is that the electronic improv? That was Shiva's... Uh, playing on, on the turntables. Yeah. So she did them independently, or did she do both at the same time? She did both at the same time. Okay, so she had a vinyl with your improv on one and. Yeah, and then um, her cutting edge turntabling yeah. techniques. And was that just like one kind of take through? No, we spent a day doing the improvisation for the violin. And then when that was turned and cut onto the vinyl, she could then do the improv. Okay. And that was done on recording day. Yeah. And then on top of that was another violin improv. But it felt really free and unknown and yeah, I like that process. The, this piece was a focus on the physicality and resonance of the sound. of layers like 60 layers of drone and other things and melodies and um yeah so umai also stems from mongolian hunnic legend umai resembles the earth goddess she's also associated with the sun called the yellow maiden what aspects did you take to 
put into the music from those roots? I think the vast landscape that I grew up in, the Kazakh steppes and Mongolian steppes, it's just something that I associate with and the nature and the folklore and I am really drawn to it and I, I think the composition came from that. So you hear a lot of drone in my music. Also, I find it quite vast and epic. Dense. So I think that's why yeah. Umay was so... <laughs> so densely populated. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Umay, um, uh, she's uh, depicted as having 60 golden tresses. I think that also sort of inspired the, the 60 layers. But that was a lot to um, record yeah. by, by oneself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I was fascinated by uh, folk traditional instrument, shankobas. It's sort of like a mouth harp. And it has this incredible, when they breathe in and they play it, the musicians, you get this um, wind-like effect and breathing, heavy breath. You can hear that. Yeah. It's really evident. So I wanted to record that. And instead of having an improvisation on that, which is mostly how it's performed and how it's heard, uh, I wanted to chop it up and create a beat out of it. Yeah. So that was fun. Other people might know it's a Jews harp yes. if you don't recognise the other ways it's getting named here. And it's twangy normally, it's twangy, yeah. but what you've done with it is you've turned it into... A turbine. A, yeah, it's like, yeah, this huge, I don't know, lummoxing beast that yeah. pins the whole thing. Together, that yeah. was the main element in, in that. That's what I think I started with, because I yeah, wanted yeah. to hear that sound. But when... Amongst all the twanging is when I heard the improvs, I was more fascinated by all the breaths mm. that was mm. present. Yeah, that to me was more so when, interesting. When chopping it up, those are the Those the are the elements the, that stayed, yeah. Yeah, that piece goes through like these various stages really, like the steps. Yes, um, <laughs> well, uh, I haven't thought of it like yeah. in those terms. <laughs> um, each one gets just a little crazier. Yes. to just go for it. I don't think of limiting or thinking, oh, people are gonna not like something, or it's too much for somebody. Yeah. I just keep going. Yeah. I'm gonna clang myself in here to say that I worked on that one with you. And yeah, I got a sense of that, that you were pushing and pushing to yes. get the sound as extreme as you could. Yeah, I remember we spent a lot of time in these really fine details and we knew exactly what you wanted to get out of it. And it was just kind of like, wringing the cloth to get the last sort yeah, of drip of Yeah, it was quite precise and also probably agonising for you because <laughs> I pushed to the, to the end. <laughs> I shed one tear, that's fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just, I am interested in pushing things in directions that are to the extreme yeah. sometimes. 
yeah, I mean, that's another one that I think people are going to be like pinned to their seats <laughs> listening to. Windswept. Yeah. <laughs> Chains, Chains composer. Just some of the sounds, you're like, wait, that's not a synth. That's a violin which has <laughs> yeah. an effect on it. And it took me but ages to realise like that. A guitar. <laughs> yeah, it's and and just the kind of manipulation and distortion and the openness for that extending that you're doing is, yeah, it's quite incredible. I think I just want to to surprise and and for people to think, oh, what is that? Yeah. And then thinking, oh, it's the violin, like, how how come? Yeah. It, it interests me. So. Yeah. But with, with Claycorn, yeah, that was so much fun to create. When Chains was thinking of the piece, they were um, thinking of an alien forest <laughs> inhabited wow, yeah. by fantastical claymation beasts, birds and insects. It's such awesome. a, an incredible world, and, and they imagine it might sound something like what? The piece. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it really does. I just love those like sliding low end things yeah. that just punctuate now and then. And they're so yeah. unapologetic, they just <sighs> come. Yeah. And are those layered violins that are then manipulated? They're, yeah, they're violin distortions and ascents yeah. and yeah. yeah, effects that happen. There is a lot of fun in the piece. It's a really just so out there for these quirky sounds and it's very dense, similarly to Zohra. You yes. have to listen so many times. <laughs> There's a lot going on. It must have taken a while to put that together. Yeah, Claire Corn feels really futuristic and fresh and yeah, fantastical. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
hope you enjoyed that, hearing lots of Gallia's music and hearing all about it from her. I found it very interesting and I'm very grateful that she came onto the podcast. So a big thank you, Gallia. Thanks to you, the listener, for checking out this podcast. Don't forget to rate it on your podcast app or leave a review or tell someone that you know that you think might be into contemporary wacky music. If you want to hear something fresh and new from us, you can listen to the part B, the music making part, where Gallia and I make a track using only her violin and electronic manipulations to make all manner of disorientating drones. Follow Gallia's social media things at Galbizen, that's G-A-L-B-I-S-E-N, and it's the same for both Twitter and Instagram. Follow ETM Things, ETM Pod on Twitter and ETM Podcast on Instagram. It's also the website, etmpodcast.com, where there's some pictures and extra things from each episode. I've got one final bit of music for you to hear. It's a new release from Nomad Music Productions, which is actually the label that Gallia founded. And it's a beautiful piece called Brother, written by Ed Finnis, performed by Robert Ames and Gallia. This will be out on the 22nd of November, so keep an eye out for that. Thanks again for listening to Excuse the Mess.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.